Welcome to VR Verdict Podcast, episode 86, our weekly VR podcast where we talk about everything VR. I am PJ. I'm Wookie. And today we're joined by Surreal and Simeon. Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Surreal. <laughs> we're here to talk Team. about a couple of games that you guys have been have bo both made and are making and still updating, so... Quite a bit to go to talk about. But this is your second uh, appearance on our podcast, so welcome back. How has it been since your last one? Well, we've uh, <clears throat> we've been busy. As uh, when we when we talked, we just had launched uh, Stones of Allah, and uh, we were in the process of like updating it. Uh, we have like quality of life updates, and I think that on your show we announced that we were also having we were also working on. Uh, more fun content than just quality updates, uh, quality of life updates. And uh, since then, we shipped that fun content, which was our uh, update 1.3, um, um, the arenas, uh, which was the, the brainchild of Simeon. So Simeon, if you want to kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, arenas was, was a fun addition to make. Um, it, was, it was nice because it got to expand on all the fun parts of the other part of the game, the th parts that I enjoyed. Um, programming and designing and Cyril got to compile some more levels, design some more art. So it was really, it was a fun update. Awesome. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a different uh, process because when we, um, when we started working on Stones of Alaf, there was like a lot of content already there for, for Simeon. Uh, and then we took the, the reverse approach for, uh, uh, for Arena. I kind of like whipped out, uh, well, no, actually the, the, the first arenas were built by Simeon where he kind of like used some of my assets and kind of like mocked something kind of like quickly. <clears throat> and then I, uh, I kind of like went back and kind of like polished, like made the lighting and all of that stuff and then changed a few, a few of them. But uh, Simeon was really the, the driver behind the, behind the design for uh, arenas because he wanted to kind of like pace the fights a certain ways and things like that. So it was kind of a case of like, hey, have fun with this and then I'll <laughs> I'll kind of do the Polish pass. Awesome. Is it kind of neat to, you know, you worked on the game one way and then kind of just reverse it and mix it up and do a totally different thing with the same game? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing also is that, you know, when, for Simeon, for example, when, when he arrives on a game where like there is a whole bunch of stuff that I already decided, it's not necessarily always super fun. Uh, so I think it was also kind of cool to kind of like, so that he have like, I mean, well, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like speaking for him now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what do you think? Oh, he's just a square. I mean, you got. I mean, I am <laughs> just a square. It's true. It's some texture, man. I know, right? But well, he's, but, a, he's a coder, right? I mean, I should have like dressed him up. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'll draw a face. I, I swear. <laughs> I'm made out of math. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's one of the beauties of collaboration is, is we get to switch things up. You know, it's the, the ebb and flow of ideas, passing things back and forth. I have an idea and it gets actualized by both of us. Cyril has an idea and we, we you know, see how it plays out. So it, that's definitely one of the advantages of working with a group. Nice. Yeah, and it, it's um, the, the arena was particularly fun because I, I kind of 
got to experience the fights, like to discover them as I was playing them. Uh, so there was an element of surprise that I did not have uh, for the rest of the game. Uh, um, I don't know. Um, we, we don't really have any metrics to kind of like see how many players, how many of our existing players are actually engaging with the arenas. Uh, but uh, if uh, if we have some people that uh, follow that podcast and that are uh, uh, players of uh, of Stones of Life, I really recommend that you try it. it. It changes the game quite significantly, and it's a lot of fun. Like I, I actually even fire up the arenas every now and then just for the pleasure. <laughs> and for anyone listening, in both Wookie missed when they're on the podcast the first time. All their games are like. I'll let you guys explain a little better. So if I mess it up, I apologize. But they're all like pixel art and like old school theme. Like Stones of Arleth is like a both melee combat and magic and all the uh, sprites kind of similar to Shock Troops on the screen here. There, it's a, it's all like old sixteen bit, eighteen bit pixel art um, graphics and stuff, and it's really neat, especially in VR. Like a super updated version, like with the health bar of like the old school uh, Wolfenstein and uh, stuff like that. So I was kind of digging it. It's yeah, really neat. yeah, um, it's uh. <clears throat> Well, that's kind of the concept, right? When uh, when I started uh, when I started making games, uh, and it's, it's a while now; it's almost twenty years. Um, pixel art is what I, I knew uh, really well, and so I, I've done. I'm pretty. I'm relatively new to three D. I've done a lot of two D games, uh, and so I, I've a lot. I've done a lot of like two D pixel art games, uh, and so when I came to three D. Um, I kind of like kept that kind of pixel art aesthetic because that's something. It's my generation. Uh, I'm a yeah. child from the 70s, so I knew I grew up uh, playing video games in the 80s, and that's what we, we played, and that's what I know well. And for VR, um, well, there, there are really two aspects of it. Uh, the first one is that, well, it's first of all, it's optimized, but because particularly for something like like Quest, we have like smaller textures uh, because they are pixel art. Uh, they are crisp. I, there are a lot of modern games that 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 do like textures that I find very blurry on the Quest because obviously they are compressed and everything. And with pixel art, we can actually stay, stay completely crisp. Uh, and, I, and I believe it looks good. Uh, a lot of people, like they, when I tell them, oh, it's, it's VR, it's 3D, and it's a mix of 3D and pixel art, <laughs> people usually make a face. Uh, but once they experience <laughs> it, they kind of understand what I mean. Uh, it, it looks good in, in headset. It looks, it looks crisp and detailed. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that it's also, uh, it allows me to kind of like work faster because I work with smaller textures. So it allows me to kind of like, uh, as you can see on the screen, you have like environments that are quite detailed for a quest game. Uh, imagine if I had like materials and, and, and bump maps and uh, like a whole bunch of stuff, like at higher resolution, it would take me forever to make an environment. Like here, I can make a, I can make a full map in a week. Uh, so it allows me to kind of like work much, much, much faster. And 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 the last uh, thing is that it there are not that many games that do that uh, in VR. So it kind of allows us to kind of like look a little bit original. Yeah, like when Stones of Arleth, um, get in there and it's just it's it's really it's gorgeous and it's really neat because like just in old school games, like all the models like follow you, you know you look at them, they're always looking at you no matter where you're at type of thing. So it's really neat to be in there. It's, it is very special. Um, yeah, they are. Uh, we call that billboarded. So that means that they follow the camera. They always face the camera. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's that's a trick also to allow us to not have to kind of like animate, you know, like like in Doom, for example, where you 
have the sides and things like that. Uh, here, we just basically always have the characters facing you. Um, the the yeah, trees in Mario 64. Yes. <laughs> and it's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, as I said, it's a choice of convenience. It's an aesthetical choice. Like, it's it just kind of like a perfect storm. Like, it makes more sense with a smaller team to kind of like approach it that way. And it looks original. I believe it looks good. Some people will disagree, right? Some people absolutely hate that concept. Yeah. Uh, and that means that the game is not for them. Uh, but for those of, for those of us that are kind of like that, like that kind of retro vibe and things like that, it's kind of cool to experience it in VR. And that's, that's the thing, right? It's like, it's not because VR is a modern medium that we cannot play with it, uh, and try like, or stuff that is not necessarily going to be photorealistic. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the style. That's, that's, yeah. I do. And if you <laughs> grew up playing these type of games, like we all had this, as this table have, like it's a whole new experience to see in VR. And it was really like, I just want, it's epic to just step into the world and be like, holy crap. Like it's just, you really feel like you're in the world thanks to VR. And, and yeah, no, when you said it helps you, oh, go ahead. No, no, sorry. I, I did not mean to interrupt. I was just going to say, you saying that um, it allows you to work faster. Like, again, with Stones of Arleth launched, you guys were updating really fast, um, getting feedback from all the users, and you were just really right on top of it. And now you have a new game coming out that's announced that, I mean, obviously you you are working really fast, which you mentioned last time that um, I can't remember the exact length of time you, were, you started from start to finish with Stones of Arleth, but it was a quick turnaround. Yeah, it's it's about uh, it's about a year and a half uh, per project. Uh, um, anything past a year and a half, I would become bored with it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm an indie because I like to kind of like try new stuff. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I would love to work one day on a game like you know, like World of Warcraft, or like I'm a big fan of World of Warcraft, or, or like uh, Destiny. I'm also a big fan of Destiny, uh, uh, but I know like. There is a part of me that's like, how do they do that? How do they work on the same project for four years, five <laughs> years? Uh, I'm, I'm used, you know, I, I come from advertising. Uh, I, was, I was working in advertising. And so I'm used to kind of like fast, fast-paced project. It's like you do one thing, you do it for two, three months, and then you kind of like move on to something else. It's just, yeah. And uh, with the so, way you guys have it set up, Wookie, they <clears throat> talked about this last time too. Like with just for VR, like Theta Legion is similar to this. I think this is like a spiritual successor and like a, it's still in the same metaverse. But uh -huh. they did sci fi, then they did fantasy with magic and combat, and now they're going back. Sci if you guys did a game every year and a half and mixed it up, like I would just love that because that means there's always something new to play, something to do. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. The, so, um, Shock Troops is, uh, is planned to, uh, uh, to ship by the end of next year. Uh, which means that by the middle of next year, I will already have it. I've started working on the next project. Uh, so that, that's also another thing that I do that I like to do is to kind of stagger things. So, uh, <clears throat> because I usually start working ahead kind of by myself, kind of play with some ideas and things like that. When someone like Simeon or someone like Michel, for example, that, that, that is the coder for, uh, um, uh, for shock troops. When they arrive, there is already kind of a base of content that is in there. So I, I try, because I have a full-time job, like the last thing that I want is them to wait for me for content. So I always try to, little bit, to be a little bit ahead of what they are working on. 
So that means that there will be a point where like my, my part of the content will be finished. And there is always like little stuff to do on the UI or like little polish stuff or like a game design pass and things like that. But uh, uh, it will most likely leave time. Uh, I don't know, like towards May uh, of next year, where I will be kind of like starting thinking about, starting thinking and playing with like concepts and art and, and builds uh, for what the next project is. Uh, and by then, I will most likely be tired of sci-fi. So by then, it will most likely <laughs> be back to fantasy. <laughs> That's awesome, though. And, I, you know, it yeah, helps you stay creative it, yeah. and, it, and it helps with, like, your games come out so quick. So if there's, like, a major change or major, like, uh, a technological leap in VR, you can actually keep up with that stuff where, like, a game that takes four years, like, just say Half-Life Alex, for example, was in development from almost the beginning of VR. So when it came out, there it still had like the old school, like pop-up menus and stuff. Like you could still tell it was kind of in between worlds almost. So that really helps you guys stay up to date. It's pretty neat. Well, that's absolutely true. And that, that for that matter, that's a thing that I experienced when I did my first VR game, which was Tita Legion on the go. Uh, between the moment I decided and started working for, on Tita Legion on the go, and the moment we shipped, Facebook had announced the quest. And we were like, okay, yeah, the Go is not going to last long uh, <laughs> with like a far superior hardware that is coming on the tail of it. So we have now a game. And it's good because like Tita Legion on the, on the Go was developed in six months. Uh, wow. So we were like, we had like a very, very compressed uh, timeline on that. And that's the reason why the game is kind of smaller. That's, that's also one of the reasons why it's free on the, on the Go. It's like, we realized, we were like, okay, yeah, we, we picked that machine, but we are not going to see a long tail of sales because everybody's going to flock to the quest. We are on the wrong, we are on, on the wrong hardware. So um, you're, you're absolutely correct. Like four years, you're, you're taking a lot of risks. So if you're a big studio, I guess you can, but if you're a yeah. small team of, uh, of indie, uh, you need to kind of reduce your risk as much as you can and, and you need to go to market fast. Um, and more importantly, like to me, it's like, again, like working two or three years on the same thing, like the excitement disappear. Um, <laughs> I'm having a time of my life making the environments for Stones of Allah, for making the environments for, uh, for Shock Troops and things like that. Like uh, that's something that I'm, en I'm enjoying myself and I don't want it to be ever something where I'm going to kind of like pester that I have. Oh, I can't believe <laughs> I have to work on Shock Troops, right? It, it, that cannot happen. It, it needs to be a pleasure. And so it needs to be fresh and exciting. Did I interrupt you earlier, Wookie? Were you going to say something? I don't recall. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, going back to like Theta Legion and, you know, with the, the pixel art style, like still in VR, like that game was still kind of like creepy and it was awesome. And I, if you're listening or watching this, there'll be a link to my video of it. Um, there's this tiniest little jump scare when an alien first pops out. You kind of see me just, whoop, <laughs> like that, just a little bit. But it was still, like, the atmosphere and with, like, the flashlight and stuff, it's still it's still crazy that you can have the same feel as, like, a more, like, photorealistic game type, like you were saying. It, it doesn't matter. Like, you're, it just works. Yeah, well, and, and the thing is that the... People forget that fear <laughs> has nothing to do with, with visual, right? Uh, uh, the way you, you scare people is by kind of like 
building anticipation and depriving them from their senses or depriving them from like knowledge of what's going to happen and things like that and having something uh, uh, at stake. Uh, so when you're playing a game, obviously you don't want to die. You don't want to have to restart the level. Uh, uh, and most likely the, the, the part that you're uh, talking about is like when you're uh, in the kind of like underground level with all the water and you can hear the drips yep. and the music <laughs> is kind of suspenseful. Uh, there is not much happening. So we are building tension and then you open a door and then boom, you have an alien right in your face. Yes, of <laughs> course, that's going to make you jump no matter what the graphics are. Uh, yeah. uh, because it's all based on like the tension that we established before. Uh, <clears throat> we are, um, so uh, Shock Troops is going to be um, uh, bigger, better. Uh, obviously, the next game is always, we are always trying to kind of like push the boundaries of what we've done previously. Uh, but I do expect a, a, a pretty intense horror section uh, in Shock Troops. And so that's also another thing the same way that I like to kind of like keep my my development cycles somewhat short. I mean, even though a year and a half, you know, for for an indie studio, that's that's still a lot of time. Um, there is the same philosophy with the levels. Like, uh, for example, I like to keep the levels. Like, I don't want a level that you take like an hour to finish, right? I, because I want to change. Like, it's like okay, well, here you're in a, a you're in a derelict spaceship. Uh, but like 20 minutes later, you'll be outside, like in a space station. And then 20 minutes later, you'll be on a planet that uh, rains fire. And then 20 minutes later, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that also allows us uh, with that type of, um, that type of content uh, to have like some levels that are going to be like super high octane action. And then some levels that are going to be way creepier. Uh, well, maybe we'll leverage the flashlight and we'll leverage the sound and we'll really try to scare the, the bejesus out of people. <laughs> Because there is yeah. nothing better than to see like someone like streaming our game and like jump or scream uh, uh, <laughs> as they are playing. It's like, yep, mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. And those level designs, you know, not being so long, it, it's really a perfect fit for VR because you have all kinds of extra things. Like it, it's extra energy to put the headset on and react because it's like your full body. Um, you have battery constraints if you're using a wireless like the Quest. Um, all kinds of things like fatigue for standing too long if your game doesn't make the person move. So just those short, it's it's a really good fit. You're doing it really well, I think. Yeah, uh, and you know, just like having like that thing on your face for like more than like 30 minutes or an hour. I mean, it's it gets. I mean, it gets in the way, right? Uh, even though like some headsets are like they, they try to kind of design them for comfort. Uh, I know, for example, that I rarely play more than an hour. Uh, at a time, like I, I need to take a break, I need to take my headset off. Uh, and so that's the thing is uh, uh, with the levels like in Stones of Arlath or in Tita Legion or in Shark Troops, what we want is we want the players to accomplish something meaningful in the time that they are in VR. And so uh, I know that like some people complain that Stones of Arlath was a little too short. Uh, we realized that it was shorter than we thought. Uh, it would be, we thought that people would actually take more time to kind of like clear some <laughs> dungeons than, than we realized. Uh, so that, that, that was, that, that was definitely a surprise on our hand. We, we felt, oh, it's a, it's a good five, five to six hour game. Uh, while in reality for most people, it was a three hour game. Uh, I think that's kind of like the average. Some people, you can clear the game in less than that. Uh, 
uh, if yeah. you speedrun it. But I would say that for most people that kind of take their time and things like that, it's about three hours, not counting the arena, because the arena itself, the <clears> fight <throat> lasts at the very minimum 45 minutes. Uh, so it, I would say for most people, it had an hour, an hour, and, and a couple more minutes of, of but we wanted people right. to kind of like, hey, you know what, you're going to play uh, one dungeon and then you're going to kind of remove your headset and do something else. Yeah. Uh, and we want you to kind of feel that you have accomplished something in that dungeon, not something that it takes you three hours, right? Yeah, and I, the th other thing I love about it, that makes it totally more accessible because, you know, a lot of times, you know, on weekends, like I game a lot, but like on weeknights, it's like I got half an hour, 45 minutes, and it's just more accessible. And just, uh, I love the auto-saving and stuff because I hate, like, playing bigger games or, you know, you got to hit the button, start, save, and constantly do that. I, with your games, it's, everything seems to auto-save perfectly. And it just, you, like you said, you accomplish something, you can take the headset off, go do something, and you feel like you enjoyed it. But with Stones of Our Life, I can tell you, um, I've played the opening three or four times now because I played it on Quest when it first came out. Um, then I played the Rift version when it first came out, and then I had to factory reset my quest due to some issue. So I've started a third time, and, you know, I've really explored the entire map, even though I've already seen it twice. I'm still, like, I go to every nook and cranny in case I miss something. Um, so I really I appreciate that there's stuff to find. And like you said, you know, some people can. You can speed run it, and you can go through it. But I'm one of those weirdos that really spends time staring at a tree for a while and then I'll go look at some grass and then I'll fight. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, and this is the way we, we play, like, that, that's VR, right? I mean, like, I've seen some people play the game and, like, beeline, like, I mean, it's like, I don't know, like, when I'm, like, like the first thing, like, when I arrived in Special Ape, uh, I talked a little bit with, like, Justin and then I was like, hey, do you mind if I kind of, like, do a tour? Like, I, because I, I kind of explored and I take the time to kind of look around and kind of, like, take the experience in, right? I mean, and so if you play like that, then you're going to get a lot of hours out of Stones of Alaf. Uh, but if you're like, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to speed run it, then yeah, I mean, it's, but uh, like I, I would argue that you have like some AAA games that can be achieved, that can be kind of like completed in like one hour, two hours uh, if you speed run them. Uh, so it, it really depends on how, uh, how you play. Uh, obviously, that's something that we are very aware of uh, for Shock Troops. So we are going to kind of like make sure that we have like enough content, uh, more content. Uh, and I think also one thing that I um, that I did is um, I was concerned that some of the dungeons. So th there was a big discussion that Simeon, Simeon and I had uh, when we were making the game is who was the target audience? Because when we started, uh, when we started the game, we we're like, okay, it's a dungeon crawler. So like, we are going to kind of like, are we designing this for like dungeon crawlers, like you know, hardcore people? And I'm talking about dungeon crawlers, like I'm talking about like dungeon master or Ultima Underworld or like Stygian Abyss or like you know, like those those kind of like dungeon crawlers. Uh, are we talking to, are we designing for like that very kind of like hardcore niche of people or are we kind of like trying to make the game more accessible? And then I got some data from Facebook um, and uh, uh, we kind of like tried to kind of look for like niche of people that that were not necessarily completely tapped yet. And so they were like, um, uh, there was a big presentation uh, that I saw on YouTube uh, made by someone that works at Facebook that was explaining that 
the coming years would be the years of people that uh, were kind of like not semi-casual, but they were they were in, in they were searching for experiences, uh, meaningful experiences, and uh, and light storytelling. Uh, and so we kind of decided it's like I think that this is this is a good fit for us. Uh, so we simplified some of the systems that we had. Uh, and I also decided to like keep the dungeon layout simple. So what I'm saying by then, by that is that we have dungeons, we could have made them twice as big, three times more complex, uh, and people would have got lost in them and we would yeah. have artificially inflated the gaming time. But this is not what we wanted to do. We wanted like potentially my mom or Simeon's mom, like to kind of enjoy the game and like do something meaningful kind of like. So we decided to just keep it somewhat straightforward and simple. Yeah, Simeon, do, you, do you have anything to add on that? I think it was um, very advantageous that we um, kept it simple because it also, you know, it's more fun. It's more fun for me. I like to pause just like going off what you said, PJ, about, you know, enjoying the trees, enjoying the grass, enjoying the environment. If it's not that complex, then I can have time to do that. But if it's if it's more complex, then I feel like if I take that time, I'm going to forget where I am in the level, or it's going to take me too long, and then I'm not going to feel like finishing it. So the simplicity definitely fit, I think, with with the rest of what we were going for as well, and enabling me to play kind of like you did, we're enjoying each moment. Yeah. Do you have any any preference on gameplay or design as far as that goes, Wookie? <laughs> Thanks for including me. No, I, uh, like PJ, I've said it before on the podcast, where games are like Witcher's 3, or Witcher 3, I just walk the whole map and look at everything, and I've natively cleared just about everything on the map. So, like Stones of Arloth, I would probably be doing that too. I'd be poking around and seeing how, what would the plants look like, and investigating <laughs> stuff. So, I, sometimes, you know, it's, it's good to have the action-packed gameplay, but a lot of times, I'm, you know, even if there's no content, I might spend 10 hours in yeah, I know Cyril really enjoys his environment design yeah. and, you know, his laying out of things. And so I think that's one one excellent strength of of the art is how things are laid out to be to be explorable, which is a lot of yeah. fun. And the art yeah, itself I mean, to me, is just fantastic. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, to me, exploration is is just such a huge driver. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it in the last uh the last podcast but like i'm a big fan of half-life like everybody uh, and i'm not necessarily talking about alex right i'm just talking about half-life 2 or half-life 1 uh but like the driver for me like i remember playing half-life 1 and 2 and enjoying the hell of my time but the driver for <laughs> me was discovering what was the next level and how that next level was different from the previous one uh <clears throat> the shooting i kind of like I mean, I enjoy shooting. I mean, you see, I'm, I'm doing shooters, so that's something that I enjoy very much. Uh, but the, 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 to me, like the, the, the principal motivator was moving forward, seeing what was next. And so uh, all the games that I make, uh, I try to kind of like, I mean, basically we design games for, we design the games we like to play, right? And so Stones of Arlath, uh, Shock Troops, uh, um, Tita Legion to some extent, uh, we are designing them to be as diverse as possible to kind of like always have that kind of like, wow, oh, I just came out of that tunnel and now I'm like in that open space uh, station. Oh, I came out of oh, that dungeon. Uh, my previous dungeon was underground and was a mine. Oh, the next one is uh, uh, 
kind of a castle or the next one is uh, <coughs> um, is um, is a crypt uh, like that, that's one thing in, in stones of Alaf. like each dungeon feels very very different than the previous uh, there are not two dungeons that look the same uh, and we believe that for players it's a it's it's a reward in itself right to kind of like get to explore a new place yeah I fully agree with that because and you know I've played Theta Legion I've played stones of Arlath and it is just like you say everything it's always like a, the next experience is quite different and that's I think the first game that did that to me, like you've mentioned, was World of Warcraft, where, like, we got in there way back when, and, you know, the game was a lot harder, took a lot longer, but I just, we just explored the hell out yeah. of every zone, and, like, the next zone was always completely different. Like, you went from frickin' Loch Modan to, like, Desolus. <laughs> yes. Completely yeah, no, different. I mean, we, World and of Warcraft. And yeah, it's so good. <laughs> World of Warcraft, their world building is absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and World of Warcraft was a huge source of inspiration for Stone of Nice. Like, I had like hundreds and hundreds of uh, of screenshots, kind of like <laughs> as I was working and as I was making, like how, like there are a lot of lessons to learn from World of Warcraft, like how mm -hmm. they, their color palette. Like uh, one thing that is extremely impressive, um, and that I've always been like, absolutely in love with uh, uh, is how each region has kind of like a dominant color palette and all of those colors are kind of working well together. Uh, that, that's definitely something that I was like super, super attentive to uh, when designing uh, Stones of Arlaf. Like you'll see, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you're, you know that like each dungeon has like a dominant color. It has like kind of a main color and then a of like, so um, yeah, Stones of Arlaf, um I, when people like ask me to describe it, I usually say it's a poor man's uh, poor man's Skyrim. Uh, but the, <laughs> the the reality is that yeah, it's a it's a poor man's world of well, it's not world of Warcraft because there is not no RPG element and no inventory and no character progression and things like that. But yeah, the visuals are definitely inspired by World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. I remember, yeah. I remember Cyril when we were first discussing what the levels uh, would entail and how they would look, how you had showed me all the mood boards that you had put together um, with all the color palettes and, and everything. That was a great discussion. I definitely enjoyed seeing what your plan was for the visuals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were that... lots of mood boards. <laughs> I was going to say, anyone that listens to our podcast regularly knows how bad I am with, like, remembering names and things. So clearly, like, I don't know the last time I played World of Warcraft, but if I can remember names of areas like Lockmodan and Desolus and Badland, like all that, like clearly it like really impacted me. Um, the fact that I can remember Battle Legion and Stones of Hourglass is actually pretty good for me. So <laughs> good, well, we, yeah. we we like it like that. <laughs> I haven't heard a lot of uh, devs talk about like the mood boards and color palettes too. It's interesting that you go into that much. Detail. It seems like a lot of people, and not slamming anybody, a lot of people just sort of jump in and start tinkering instead of saying, "How do I want the care, the player to feel while going through? What do I want them to see?" They're just like, "Hey, this might be fun and it might work out," but it really shows with some of these things. Is like some some younger folks that didn't play a lot of like Super Nintendo. Um, some of the textures and stuff you've got. There used to be like side-scrolling mech games and stuff on Super Nintendo where the art was just like, it can't be top because it's just so, like you were saying, crisp and clear. It's just so tight. Like, 
some of those uh, just Nintendo like Japanese developers had like that pixel art was down like so hard and you've got it nailed on some of these environments like when the flashlight goes through the corridor it looks like those panels from those old games I remember I can't remember the names of those games because I got the PJ disease there but um <laughs> but it looks like you're walking through a super Nintendo oops sorry bang, banging stuff talking with my hands <laughs> it's, it, it's great to do this in VR because you can see me talking with my hands yep um <laughs> but like it just looks like you're walking through my favorite SNES games, like the whole catalog. There's stuff that is just making me feel like, man, I need to break out the SNES. Like, wait, why don't I just play this instead? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... um. So, to, to go back on the mood boards, uh, because, um, because I like short development cycles, that means that I try to be as efficient as possible, meaning, like, not waste too much time. Uh, and so I like to go to go into something with a plan. Uh, and so the mood board and kind of like starting to kind of have an idea of like how I want things to look and feel. Uh, first, it helps me kind of like keep myself honest with like what I'm creating and kind of like go back to the mood board. It's like, did I achieve that particular look that I was after? Uh, it's also great when you start working with someone uh, because you can show them, even though you may not have everything built yet, you can show them this is this is the this is the vision behind. Mm -hmm. uh, one side um, uh, reason and cause for for this being also so important for me is that I also uh, teach game design, uh, so I spend a whole lot of time telling my students explaining how to plan ahead and how to do mode boards and they, they they are actually graded on some of them and things like that and so if i was not doing it uh like like i, I basically like what, what is the expression uh i put my mouth where my money is or whatever <laughs> money where your mouth is yeah, yeah. some yeah. some That's... gigs i've worked at that eating your own dog food is some of the <laughs> okay, so I'm eating my. Yeah, I kind of like that. I'm eating my own dog food. Funny. Um, it, it makes you, you stop. And like your... stops the conversation, and you're like, okay, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> Do you have like once a quarter, like where you teach, like, okay, it's time to grade the teacher's game, and they all play it, and they tell you what they think. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so uh, usually, so uh, well, last year was particular because it was pandemic year, right? So all the classes were remote. I have a huge Discord server with all my students on it, and we were on Zoom and on Discord, etc. Uh, but uh, the year prior, like when I was working on Tita Legion, uh, I would, yeah, I would bring my gaming class, and I would like have students play, play test it, uh, because I think it's important for them to kind of like see that, you know, like we talk a lot about like when when we are in school, we talk a lot about, about passion, about effort, about like commitment and all that stuff. And so, well, if I show them that, hey, I'm I'm doing it as well. Uh, it kind of, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I want to hope that it's inspiring for students to see that their yeah. professor is also doing this, that it's not, I'm yeah. not a jaded guy that is like just teaching from afar, but that I'm also in the middle of it and I'm passionate yeah. as hell. Uh, Leading by it. example. <laughs> now, I would not necessarily ask them to grade my game because I would, I would, uh, <laughs> I would be afraid of revenge grading. <laughs> let me see your mood board sir <laughs> but but i mean i think that all my students know that i'm open to critique like i mean there is one thing that i'm known you know maybe it's because i'm french but like my critics can can be i i don't i don't spend a lot of time uh beating around the bush i usually kind of go directly to kind of like <laughs> so uh, uh um 
they know that I can be very frank in my critics, uh, but they also know, I hope, that they can be frank with me. Like, if they don't like my game, they should tell me. Uh, or if they think that something could be better, they should tell me, because nobody gets better if... Nobody gets better by having people kind of, like, try to manage them or try to kind of, like, you know, uh, uh, save them. No, it's like, if you think something can be better, say it. Say it. Now, the other person may say, hey, you know what, uh, I appreciate your opinion, but this is not what I want to do, and or this is, I cannot do that, or this is out of scope, and things like that, but I think it's always good to have suggestions. So, yeah, students, uh, I'm very excited. This coming quarter, uh, we are going back, so it's going to be kind of hybrid. Like Some will be in the virtual, uh, and I'm kind of like very excited to kind of bring back uh, VR games to the club. Nice. <laughs> You had mentioned um, getting different types of suggestions and deciding whether or not which ones are, you would respond to um, by acting them out, which ones you would say, oh, perhaps that's not in scope. I, th I think that's kind of a secret, a secret skill that you develop when making games, especially indie games, is, is a suggestion management. You know, how do you take suggestions and know when to act on them and when it's really best not to? So... Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. Uh, scoping, uh, the only reason why we can't make those games and, and ship them, you know, you have, a, you have hundreds and hundreds of people that start making VR games. You have not necessarily that many people that finish and ship them. Uh, uh, and understanding, like keeping your eyes on the prize and understanding how to keep in scope is one of the most important dev skill ever. And that's, that, that's a thing, uh, like, one on two hundred percent agree with Simeon. It is a skill that that needs to be gained ASAP. Yeah, it's funny. I've we talked to a lot of devs, obviously, and I don't think I've heard that term yet. So that's interesting. <laughs> Have scoping? none of them said scoping? I don't think so. Not really. I mean, that's no. the number one killer. Maybe it's maybe it's needs to be said to some folks then, because oh yeah. <laughs> scoping yeah. is so important like that's yeah I mean, it, it could it's so be easy that... to get sorry i was as i said it could be just that they don't want to talk about maybe they think that's too boring of, of a topic to talk about which obviously it's, it's no. not but it's just i just it was a strange to me that i haven't heard that yet talking to as many devs as we talked <laughs> i mean yeah, how I'm... many how many of them are like, I got to put ray tracing in my game now? Like, <laughs> do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's how, that, I mean, that's how you tank a studio, right? I mean, that's how, you, yep. that's how you go out of budget or that's how you end up with people that are crunching all the time and that, that cannot have a, a personal life. Uh, I mean, to me, yep. like, again, you know, I've worked in the advertising industry for like 20, 22 years. Uh, uh, scoping is something that I learned, like, working on like media campaigns and or, like big clients and things like that. It's like, well, if you have three months to do something, uh, there is no time to waste uh, <laughs> and you cannot waste time on stuff that is not essential. Uh, and you need to understand everything that is essential right away so that you can kind of organize like the workload and the people. And yeah, it's to me, scoping is like the most important thing. Makes sense. As well as, you know, this is what is in scope and just as important as this is what is not in scope this is what we are exactly not going to do even yeah. um just working in tech and automating stuff i have to tell people we're not going to do that like it's not just that we haven't discussed it it might get added in later 
not even a phase two, maybe phase 10. It's not going to happen right now. And you have to say that otherwise they'll be like, you have to manage those expectations. They'll, not, they'll always want it. Mm-hmm. You got to just absolutely. say, yeah. Nah. No, absolutely. I mean, that, that can, as I said, that can kill a team, that can kill a project. And then people are less motivated because they are overworked. Uh, again, you know, like um, there is enough <laughs> during Stones of Our Life, uh, uh, shark troops are extremely well scoped. I know exactly how many missions. I know exactly how many environments. Like I have, I have a spreadsheet with all of those things. I know exactly what I'm designing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, for Stones of Our Life, same thing. It was extremely scoped. It was like the project was managed on Trello on a daily basis and things like that. Even with that level of commitment, we still had like moments where like things kind of popped out of nowhere and we had like emergencies and things like that. So Simeon had to work some nights late or some weekends and things like that. Uh, uh, even with, with us being kind of extremely reasonable, can you imagine if we were just like kind of like doing yeah. that? We, he would still be working on Stones of Olaf, the poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, like, I wouldn't even be a cube. I would be a puddle. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a well, puddle. It would be, the cube it would be people. a particle engine. The cute people observe a nine-day work week, so you might be okay. I don't know. Oh, all right. <laughs> the, yeah, the um, the shit's always going to happen. So as long as you do what you do up front to minimize the shit, then the shit that is going to happen you can manage in bite-sized pieces, hopefully. But, oh, boy, when people don't – I don't know what went into these games that you guys made. It sounds like that's – I'd like to see these spreadsheets – <laughs> not, not really, I don't want to show them, but like, I can just imagine how, you keep saying you work, you focus on efficiency. When you're talking about that stuff, that's kind of like, I thought my brain worked that way. That, you know, I, how do you see all that stuff beforehand? Do you just sit down and just think your way through it? Or while you're developing the last game? Or is your brain working on this game before you get to the spreadsheet? How does that all end up? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um because I think that there are um, there are various um, there is a sequence, right? When I work on a game, as I was telling you, like there is a part of it where I work kind of like myself on it, and this it's like I still have my mood boards because I still want to kind of like I don't want to waste my own time because mm-hmm. my own time is limited. So I want to make sure that like if I have like I don't know four or five or eight hours to work on a level. Uh, I want to do something meaningful in those four, eight hours and not have to redo it. So um, so I, I mood bought it. But then when I'm making those things, I'm I'm kind of like iterating and kind of playing with it and things like that. And that's going to kind of like these kind of like first elements of creation. So for example, uh, uh, for Shock Troops or even for Stones of Alaf, like uh, by uh, November, by mid-November, of 2019, I already had like a, a small portion of the island that looked exactly the way I wanted it to look. So that's another thing that I teach my students is to do what we call the beautiful corner. Uh, it's like you're going to take a small portion of your game, like just a, like a corner, and you're going to kind of develop it full on, like everything, the, the right textures, the right lighting, and all the right stuff. And that's going to be your kind of template for everything else. And you'll bring everything else back to oh, does it look as good as this, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is that while you're doing this, you're also going to start kind of like discovering what is the particular pipeline 
the particular organization of what you're what you're uh, what you're creating, and this usually is something that you're kind of like taking notes on, uh, and that helps you kind of like anticipate what is it that how long it's going to take you to kind of create other pieces, etc. So the more you work on it, the better you become at it. Uh, um, and so by the time uh, Simeon or Michelle arrive, like I have a pretty good idea of how long it takes me to do some things and what are the pipelines and how many materials, et cetera. So that kind of allows me to kind of like anticipate, okay, so our, we usually work milestone per milestone. So for example, when Simeon and I, when Simeon joined the project, which was in uh, February of uh, 2020, uh, uh, we kind of like sit, sit, sat down. So. You guys are familiar with the agile, the agile methodology, right? Uh, so we, uh, every milestone is always about making a, what I call the a, a minimum viable product. Uh, so technically, every milestone is in a shippable state. Uh, so Simeon and I sat down and said, like, okay, well, we are setting the next milestone in two months. What is it that we can, so there is a bunch of environments that are there. They are ready for you to kind of like start plugging some code on and things like that. Uh, what is the game about? The game is about doing some magic and about swinging a shield and a sword. Okay, well, then can we, in two months, have a couple basic enemies, two spells, uh, and the fighting uh, working? Uh, and Simeon was like, yeah, I, I don't see that being a problem. And so that's kind of what we worked on. We worked on that feature and say, okay, now that we have this, uh, we finished milestone one. It was on time. Uh, we were very happy with where it was going. Okay, so what is going to be the next milestone? Oh, the next milestone... Well, we, I think we should like build our first dungeon. Uh, so, and two more spells. And so we kind of like, kind of iterate on top of it, but the more we work, the more we understand like how long these things take. And so the, the, the more and more precise we become at planning. So first there is kind of like that scope thing that I was talking is that even the milestones are extremely scoped and it is a scope that we both agree on. We both commit to it, et cetera. And, and uh, so the scope is very tight for the first milestones. And then after that, we have a better idea of how to kind of like, so for example, like, you know, we keep playing that video of shock troops. This is two months of work like that, the four levels, the, so that's the first mission, that's the introduction mission. So you have like the, uh, uh, that's two months. And so when I sat down with Michelle, we were talking, okay, what can we do in those two months? Can we have a gun? Where can we have two guns? Uh, can we have the reload? Can we have the radar? Can we have, and so, we designed that and then now we are going to, we, ha we haven't had our, our meeting yet where we are going to define what the next milestone is with plan for December. Uh, but at some point uh, next week, I'm going to sit down with him and then we are going to kind of like look at the content plan that I laid out and extract from that content plan, like stuff that we have time to build between now and December. Does, does that somewhat answer your question on how we... Yeah. Well, overboard for me. I mean, I do the agile thing in my brain a lot. My workplace doesn't do it, but that's this is like masterclass for anybody who's listening. Like this is yeah. exactly how you need to work, live, and run school right here. This is awesome. I was going to say that exact same thing. Sharing so much good experience that I hope you have a lot of viewers for this. I think they'll learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For like, the, I'm not a decoder is... or designer or anything, but I kind of want to take your class. <laughs> <laughs> And roll. Uh, I teach at SCAD, and <laughs> you will be welcome. <laughs> Do you teach any like snippet classes of like mood boards, like just that one? Because that one's fascinating to me. Because uh, yeah, so I teach a, I, I teach a whole bunch of different classes, but like my uh, 
the ones that I teach the more often uh, are uh, an intro to programming, uh, which is kind of funny because I'm, I'm not a professional programmer, but uh, I think that's kind of like a good class for me because I'm an artist. And so it shows like, we have a lot of students that are kind of afraid of programming. Uh, and I think like for their first contact with programming, having it taught by someone that kind of enjoy art and and know why programming is so helpful and so fun, because I, I have a lot of fun programming. Uh, and help sometimes help make a difference. I teach uh, board game design, so I, I, um, I, I love board games, and I actually, uh, uh, Mion, uh, uh and I um, have a plan to kind of finish a board game that I started, uh, oh, that wow. I want to kind of like <laughs> ship uh, uh, at some point. Uh, so yeah, board game design is super fun. Uh, so I teach board game design, um, and then I teach a whole bunch of studio classes of like production classes, and so that's where uh, I teach students how to make a mood board, how I teach them how to manage a project using Agile. Uh, so like a lot of them don't know Agile when they arrive. And so I kind of present the methodology. I, I help them kind of like do their sprints. Uh, and by the time they graduate, like they, they are running everything Agile. Uh, pretty fun. That's fantastic. Um, and during those production classes, I teach them how to make a trailer. I teach them. Uh, and then obviously there is a whole bunch of kind of art direction, you know, like color palettes. Uh, shapes and forms and, and composition and, and a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, but they, they are not necessarily um, classes that are dedicated that like, it's not like, oh, this is a shape and composition class. No, mm -hmm. it's kind of a production class. And then within the class, I have lectures that are going to touch different subjects, depending on what the students are working on. Yeah. And talking about speed, you know, like, um, <clears throat> My capstone classes are Studio 2 and Studio 3, which are like the last classes that students are going to take. Uh, where I teach, we have uh, quarters that last 10 weeks. So Studio 2 and Studio 3 are two classes that are connected, where students uh, form teams in Studio 2, uh, and they do a project during 10 weeks. And then we usually have a break. And then after the break, they come back to the next class and they finish their project. So we have a whole bunch of like students, like everybody in my school, make a game in 20 weeks. Like, I repeat that. Everybody that is in my school make a game in 20 weeks. Simeon made a game in 20 weeks. Every single one of my students make a game in 20 weeks. So uh, 20 weeks is games. not a lot. You made, well, yeah, well, you made several. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because he, he, he also made a game alone in Studio One. Uh, uh, but so <laughs> the, the, the point is that when you have 20 weeks to make a game, you have to kind of be sharp and you have to take the right decisions and things like that. So making mood boards to know where you're going and things like that, like become super, super important. Yeah, a lot of this stuff, indie game devs probably don't know any of this until they've finished a game because, you know, kind of got to work backwards the way you're doing. You have to know what the finished product is. And for people that work with like data, it's like writing, you know, if somebody wants a report, here's the columns and crap I want. Well, then you got to go figure out what pieces you need to put together to make that happen. And this is exactly that for game design in a nutshell. Well, I mean, and again, you know, it's not because it's creation that it cannot be organized and and, and have like some sort of a, I'm not going to say science, but uh, some sort of a methodology uh, mm -hmm. behind it. I think methodology is something that is very important. Well, so like, you know, traditional painters had to know how to mix the right paint. <laughs> and yeah. You gotta know how to stretch a canvas. You gotta do all that crap. That's the same kind of thing, just on keyboards mm -hmm. wow. 
and I actually went to school for 3D game, like a game animation and stuff like that. But we, it was quick and concise and everything, but it, there was never anything that was kind of like as tight as what you're doing. So I'm kind of jealous that the <laughs> school I went to, it's probably pushing 20, 15, 20 years ago, they didn't have quite that same methodology. You know, each semester was like one month long, so they just sped us through stuff and they learned a lot. Still kind of like, well, I mean, and these things uh, evolve over time, right? I mean, I'm also mm -hmm. like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm also the product of. To to me, um, the, the the school, the I, when they hired me, they hired someone that was coming from the industry, right? So the, someone that was a creative director that had like managed people and things like that. So. Um, a lot of the things that I teach my students are things that I kind of like learn as I was working uh, uh, on projects or on indie games and things like that. And so uh, I would assume that the professors that will be teaching our students in 20 years, like it gets better and better and better, better right? Uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's necessarily the fault of your school 20 years, like 20 years ago, a lot of those people were still kind of like figuring it out. Uh, now we have like 20 I'm years sure. of having having figured it out so we can share <laughs> a more solid experience uh and, and the more that industry is going to mature like you know one thing that i'm that i absolutely dislike uh is like that kind of crunch culture right where it's like mm. oh uh you 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 hear of those studios that are like oh we are going to put our magic dust and then the game will be awesome and things like that. it's like no uh like take decisions at the right time uh, and don't kind of like hope that people will kind of like inject their personal life and their personal time to kind of make up for your mistakes or lack of decision and things like that. Um, yeah. This is because we are still in a very young industry, but I can guarantee you that in 10, 20 years, like uh, I'm pretty sure that this will become much, much less than known because people will be like, well, this is not sustainable. Uh, so I think that as an industry, we are, we are improving. Uh, the, the other thing is diversity, right? I mean, like uh, uh, the video game industry is not a very di was not a very diverse industry, uh, but it's it's improving. It's getting better. Uh, I have a, a practically fifty fifty gender parity in my classes. I'm super excited about that. So I think that cool. you know all of those things are improving uh, every year. And uh, yeah, when I um, <laughs> I have that story, I don't know if I told you. Uh, last time that I usually tell my students because it's like, I'm not like the guy that always make the right decision, right? So when I was a student, I I, uh, I did a master in multimedia. Like that thing was barely, internet did not existed at that time. Or it was <laughs> just rising. Uh, like it was, it was starting to be there. And um, uh, in my last year, I had to take a path and there were two paths. And there was like one path was internet and multimedia, hypermedia, and the other path was CD-ROM creation. And I was like, you know what? That internet thing, I'm not sure. So I'm going to take CD-ROM because it's a better, <laughs> it's a better choice. Well, guess what? Um, so all of, all of that to say that again, you know, like the professors at that time, they did the best they, they could with, with something that was like really emerging. Yeah. Um, it's true. That's a fair point. Not Jamil, to break up a, the. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Are you looking at me? 
Yeah. Well, at, 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 the, at the side of your cube. <laughs> I don't know what's the front. <laughs> oh, you can't. I know who I'm front? looking at. Who are you looking at? <laughs> well, Simeon, Simeon comes from that uh, from that school, so I was thinking that maybe he wanted to kind of like express like how. Oh well, I absolutely. I absolutely agree. I think that was one of the things you mentioned earlier about um, bridging between one semester and the next with the same project. That sounds very unique to me. I don't know if other schools do that, but I haven't heard of it. Um, and I think that's something that, for me, enabled me to finish a project with a higher fidelity, you know, a higher quality product with a group of people, you know, carrying over from one semester to the next. I got to know those people better. So, I mean, if, if you want to learn how to create a product and then before jumping into the indie industry, um, I think that's a great way to go, um, multiple semester project. And I just want to jet in there when, when Simeon, when you said, are you looking at me? Even your cube in VR was expressive because your cube was like, <laughs> and I was like, only in VR, you can't do that in any other game. <laughs> Flat white cube, like, oh, snap. <laughs> no, it's true. It's like you, you can, like. I've had my back to you this whole time. You don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps like, looking at the live on hair sign, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, before the time is up, um, you've been watching your lovely game Shock Troops on the screen mm -hmm. here. Is there anything you want to talk about specifically with that? Or anything sure, you want I mean... listeners or anyone watching to, to know? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, well, obviously, um, so it's the, it's the spiritual successor of, uh, of Tita Legion kind of exists in the same, in the same world. I mean, um, it's, it's done very differently. Uh, there is a lot of stuff that I learned, uh, as I was designing, uh, some mistakes, uh, that I realized I made, uh, uh, that I'm correcting with the next project. Um. <laughs> So it's going to be much more packed with, like you can see, there is a lot of content, like uh, uh, for Tita Legion and to an extent, the Stones of Alaf, the levels sometimes were a little empty. Uh, here, uh, I have found uh, a new pipeline that allows me to kind of like have as many items as I want in it without uh, without hindering performance. So that allows wow. me to go way more uh, to kind of like set dress uh, the environments a lot more. Uh, and also, um, because I approach the way textures are done very, very differently. Uh, so it's a completely new pipeline, right? Stones of Alaf was done the same way that Tita Legion was done, um, uh, using a lot of like textures that would repeat themselves and things like that. For, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, Shock Troops, it's completely different. All the textures are like painted as like one material. Uh, so that allows me to kind of bake a lot more detail, uh, and a lot more uniqueness, uh, into them. Uh, I want this to be the ultimate. So it's going to be a first-person shooter, but like the the design pillar is that it, it's going to be an epic first-person shooter. Like I want players to be wow. So um, on the video, and the, the video doesn't show the full thing. It, it kind of cuts uh, early, uh, but like and unfortunately, the parts that are cut are, are the best part. Oh, uh, <laughs> but like you have a train ride, like you have a thing where you're fighting on a train that is moving at full speed in a tunnel. Uh, there awesome. is a portion of it where you're like in a space station and you can see the planet below you. So when you're in VR, like you're, you're in, and so 
every level, I want to kind of like something like that. Like I want to kind of like have a constant wow factor. So it's not just going to be a shooter. It's going to be, I want it to be an experience. Uh, I want it to be something like, even when you're done shooting everything, maybe stay in the level and kind of like backtrack a little bit to kind of look at things uh, without having people shooting at you and stuff like that. It's like, like I, <laughs> I really want to kind of like, that's a thing that for all the games that I make, I hope that people will say, oh, they have a great sense of place. Uh, Simeon was uh, saying it like, I like my, un my uh, environment design. Like if I was not an indie, like if I had to kind of like get a job somewhere, like I would most likely be an environment artist because I absolutely adore making environments. Like I'm just having a lot of fun doing those. And so I hope that when people kind of like see our levels, they, they see that love and passion. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, do you have any particular questions about shock troops or it's difficult for me to talk about it because <laughs> I know like everything is in my head, but I don't know what yeah. people want to know. <laughs> um, and again, like you don't have to answer specifics if you don't want to, I'm just curious, um, compared to Theta Legion, which <clears throat> again, like, and I'm not just saying this cause you're here, like I, you're, the two games of yours that I've played in the looks of this, like are just right up my alley. Like, I love them. They're perfect. I adore them. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> so when we, maybe not to compare this to Theta Legion, but um, what are a few things that, um, aside from, like, with the the levels and stuff, what are some differences that you didn't get to do maybe in Theta Legion that this finally allowed you to do type of thing? Well, the so the, 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 the amount, the amount that, of set dressing in each level is like 10 times more than Tita Legion and, and Stones of Arlaf. I mean, I think that Simeon will agree with me, right? I mean, like these levels are way more detailed. Uh, the sprites, uh, when I did Tita Legion and when we did uh, Stones of Arlaf, I was using 64 by 64 sprites. And then uh, uh, midway through Stones of Arlaf, I was like starting to kind of like regret that choice because uh, going 128 by 128 is a lot more work, but it also allows us to have like sprites that have a lot more expressive definition. Uh, and particularly when they get close to you. Uh, and that's the reason why like in our update for Stones of Alaf in 1.3, like uh, I actually hired a pixel artist to redo all the sprites at a higher resolution. I don't know if you saw the difference, uh, but it, yep. like, it allows you to kind of like understand like the NPCs and the enemies much, much better. So natively, uh, uh, Shock Troops has those kind of higher resolution sprites, higher resolution textures also, the textures are actually uh, sharper. Um, uh, the lighting is uh, is about the same. Uh, and then the, the next part is the gameplay. Um, so uh, Tita Legion was pretty much a run and gun, like it was Doom, right? I mean, Tita Legion, like when, yeah. we, when, when I started it, I wanted to kind of emulate Doom. Uh, on this one, like there is the will to kind of tell a story uh, a lot, a lot more than we did for Tita Legion. So there is a lot more story elements in, baked in the missions and things like that. And there is a lot right. of stuff that you will do with the world. Like you have to press buttons, collect items. Uh, 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 there is a whole bunch of stuff. So it's not just going to be kind of like shooting stuff. It's also going to be kind of like having an adventure in space. Uh, That's awesome. Um, yeah, Theta Legion to me, my first, the first time I played it was almost like being Duke Nukem in the alien setting, <laughs> <You know? laughs> which is perfect. It was just awesome. 
Yeah, we are going to yeah. go way creepier uh, in short groups, like <laughs> because because of that newfound pipeline uh, allows me to have so much more detail in my environments. I'm I'm really going to go to town. Super super. Awesome. Uh, I love that else? you have like the scanner from from Ailey, like just to it gives it even more of a creep factor when it's like. <laughs> yeah, particularly because there will be moments in the game where it will stop working. Awesome. <laughs> but you get him to rely on it and you take him away, take it away. That's cruel. Of course. I love it. Well, but that's that that's how you get jump scales, right? It's <laughs> yeah. So if, um again, comparing the two games, like are you do you have a certain game length? In mind, or kind of just shooting for like kind of the same small bite-sized things. So we well, so we are going to try to uh, right now. I have uh, sixteen levels planned. Uh, so that's a lot more than what we had in uh, Titanium. That's actually a lot more than what we had in uh, Instance of Alaf as well. Uh, then, as uh, as I'm making this, those levels, I'm going to kind of have them play tested. Uh, to see a little bit of the length uh, and <clears> see where <throat> I need to add. Sorry. Just, if you need a volunteer to play test somewhere. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I mean, so. A genuine concern the, for your. your oh, yeah, I thought you there. were like yeah, saying like you. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, um, so the, the, well, I'll, um, I'll touch on, upon that. Um, so uh, going to play test them to kind of like. I got a little bit uh, stinged by uh, some of the critiques on like, oh, uh, Stones of Our Life is too short. Um, like that's, of all the critiques that people, things that they did not like about the game, that's the one that kind of stung the most. Uh, mm. So I'm going to make damn sure that uh, the next game, uh, I have a much better understanding of how long it takes for people to kind of like complete those missions uh, and make sure that we go at least for three or four hours uh, uh, worth of gameplay. Uh, so that means either adding some content or making some of the levels a little bit more complicated to navigate. They are less kind of like, oh, well, I know exactly at all time where to. Uh, to go back to the, the, the playtesting, uh, so the, the way I organized it, because um, I thought I, I should explain that, um, we, we selected five people uh, to, uh, we gave access to our uh, first build to five people and not, not one more. Uh, and those five people are all people that talked about both Tita Legion and Stones of Alaf. And uh, Stones of Alaf sold very well. We are very happy with our numbers. Uh, Glad to hear that. <laughs> we, did not, uh, we did not spend, uh, well, we spent, a, maybe I spent $100 in marketing. Uh, wow. so all of that, all of those sales, they come from like people like you guys, uh, uh people like, uh, content creators on YouTube and things yep. like that talking about our game. And so when we had like people talking about Tita Legion on the go, Tita Legion on, uh, on, on the Rift, Stones of Alaf, et cetera, what I wanted to do is like do something. It's like, well, you know what? You're going to have like exclusive access to our next game and you can put that on your channel and you can create content and it's going to hopefully do good for your channel. And that's our, our thank you. Right. Uh, nice. And then every, uh, every, uh, every milestone, we are going to add more partners. So, I mean, obviously, yes. I mean, that's nice. the second time we are coming here. You can expect us to kind of like uh, recognize that and, and grant you kind of like same thing, like access to, to this. We want to reward 
I'm not going to look at like how many followers a YouTube channel has. Uh, I'm more interested into kind of like uh, preserving uh, and cultivating relationships uh, uh, with content creators and things like that, because I do believe that for a team like us, that's how we get our eyes on our products, right? And so uh, the people that help us sell our game, well, they, they'll, they'll, they'll get dibs on the next one, right? It's, it's kind of <laughs> natural. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I was happy you just had that one post with like a collage of everyone that talked about it, and that was that was touching enough for me. But <laughs> yeah, we we got hundreds of videos, like uh, yeah. uh, uh, and some ranging from like a couple of views to like uh, uh, Wolf and VR had like like one hundred uh, one hundred thousand views on the video. It's like well, yes, of course that's helping us, right? I mean, yep. there is no question, like. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I was, I was kind of shocked. Like if you go, uh, search like stones of our life on YouTube, like you're going to get a whole lot of content. And for That's us, awesome. you know, we, we got some, like, like the first day we got some reviews that were a little bit disappointing for us. And we were a little down because, uh, you know, we spent a year and a half of like our free time, um, building something, uh, not being paid and things like that. And then like the first feedback that we're getting is people that are kind of like not necessarily loving our game. Uh, <laughs> that takes you down a little bit. And then <laughs> we see like videos after videos of people just having fun with the game. And I can tell you that re-energize you. Like these videos, like they made my day every day, right? Like yeah. uh, it was like the money, you know, your, the money you receive it like a month or a month and a half later. Uh, the videos, as they come, as people show that they're enjoying your product, they, they, just, they just make you happy. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, it was a big thing. We already had like a lot of people covering Tita Legion, but like the coverage on Stones of Alaf went like bananas. Like, uh, I'm still like, there are still people today. I still saw a new, a new, a new video, like, and we try to kind of respond to them and like acknowledge them and like them and things like that. So to me, that, that that's a symbiotic relationship, right? Content creators and, yep. and, and, and developers, like. That's how, that's how, as an indie, we get a chance. Like, we don't have the, the marketing budget of Call of Duty. Uh, yeah. But what we can do is uh, we can uh, uh, have a little community around us that can kind of help us kind of, like, put eyes, eyeballs on our product. Yeah. And your viewpoint may be a little different on this, but I'm, I'm assuming that when, like, Stones of Arla first launched, like, you know, people are expecting, like, VR, like, big, more grand games and i think a lot of people are younger like maybe they haven't ever played like a pixar game from back in the day so that might have like kind of taken them off guard not knowing what to expect even though you kind of i think your description says it and you know a lot of people don't read it they just well that looks cool let me try it out and i'm just curious if that was kind of the start of it because clearly um as a little time went on it was pretty quick from my viewpoint where it started to take off and kind of found like the people that really loved it and really liked it and understood it, the charm of it and all that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've, I'm not sure if the pixel art, I mean, some people really did not like it. That's for sure. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a minority. I think most people kind of liked, uh, I, I think it's the, the length, uh, the simplicity of it, the humility of it. I think that, you know, Again, to go back to scope, uh, we could have like a lot more spells or more complicated mechanism and an inventory 
uh, and the skill tree for uh, the character, etc. Uh, but all of that ha had had a lot of complexity, uh, and it's not just complexity in making the game; it's also complexity in uh, uh, in testing it. Uh, uh, if you have different skill trees, uh, you need to test them all. Then you need to make sure that they are balanced, etc., etc. So my point is that uh, we made a game that was very sober, like simple, humble, uh, strong core mechanics, um, uh, a, a cool, cute art style, uh, and a scope that was manageable for two of us working on this as uh, uh, during the weekends and the late nights and things like that. <laughs> and so. I think that um, some people got disappointed that it was not Skyrim, right? But I mean, like Skyrim is is a team of like 500 people, 1,000 people. Yeah. Don't Zavala is a team of two. Uh, I don't know. Skyrim <laughs> five the, years. I don't know. It's like the hubris of some fans. It's just sort of like, you know how much it goes into doing this stuff? Like it's inventory system every every game has it so you should just have one right because of yeah. whatever reason but it's like well then you have a ui and then you got to click things and move it make sure it doesn't delete the item i mean there's yeah. eight million things to test with that just for basic inventory and then everyone you put it in there and they're gonna be like well why can't i select all the things i want to sell and push sell once why do i gotta click and then it's just yes. like go home shut up um no i mean and <laughs> you know I, i'm not going to like I don't remember who I was telling that to. Uh, being a dev is is uh, learning how to see the silver lining. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm not going to say that it's it's about you know like when people complain about the game being too short. Uh, what I want to read is that a they enjoyed the experience and they wish it was longer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They will buy the so, expansion. <laughs> uh, so uh, the the thing is that uh, of course like. You know, with a bigger team and a bigger budget, there is a lot of more stuff that I would have liked to do with Stones of Alaf. But with with the team that we had uh, and the time frame that we wanted, so that we don't exert ourselves, uh, this is the best we could do. And I'm damn proud. Like I'm super proud of what we've done. Like I'm super proud of the game. Like there is not there is not one second in that game that I don't firmly stand behind, and there is not one choice that I regret. Um, awesome. I think it's fun. <laughs> uh, and and that's the same thing for uh, for shock troops. I'm 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 super excited where it's going. Is it going to be? Uh, is it going to uh, beat Destiny in terms of like content? Or no? Of course not. It's it's again it's a it's a game made by two three people if we count the the, the sound designer and musician. Uh, uh, but I can tell you that it's a game that is made with love. Um, uh, that every detail matters to me. Um, and yes, there may be 500 of them and not 10,000, but th that's the 500 that I can manage. Uh, yeah. uh, so that's, that's the thing, right? I would rather kind of do something kind of like controlled and polished rather than kind of try to overextend myself and not be able to deliver on any of those. Yep. Hashtag scope. <laughs> Hashtag scope. <laughs> it's, it's such a shame too, because like, I hope you get like bigger teams of, of more people with your guys' mindsets because the way you're talking about the planning, that's the kind of stuff you need for the groups that have the bigger teams because a lot of times I think the bigger teams start, you know, fighting over each other. I complain a lot about one of PJ's favorite games, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I think there was like 16 different studios working on that. I walk <laughs> in and I'm like, why doesn't the long ship feel like a real ship? And PJ's like, well, the little boats later on feel like the real boats. And I was like, 
would you have like four studios working on how the boats feel like you know my brain just picks it apart and it's like well the backgrounds look great the characters maybe not the voices somebody slept and that quality control and i'm just i only tear apart the triple a games because it's like it's ubisoft with like 30 studios half of them working on this game well to their um to to their uh, to their defense um the more people you had on like it's the reality <laughs> of the, exactly the reality of scoping a project with two people it, it's way easier to scope a project right <laughs> with two people than scoping a project right with 500 and more, or yeah. 1000 and then once you start adding like a uh, third party uh, studios and things like that it becomes even more complicated um, yep. so that's, that's what i was getting to yeah and and the reality is that uh, studios like particularly studios of, like ubisoft because i worked with them uh, they are extremely organized actually a lot of the stuff that I know, I learned from Ubisoft, from working with them as a third party, as a third party studio. Uh, they were like, wow. they were a bliss to work with. Uh, uh, and, and a lot of the processes that, that I then applied for myself, particularly on the UX, like I can tell, I worked with Ubisoft in 2009. And uh, the first day, like um, they gave me a, U a UX document that was like 100 page long, that had like all the research and I was like floored. And as someone that was in advertising and marketing, like I like data uh, mm -hmm. and like they were like super data centric and it was bliss because the decisions <laughs> that we made in terms of UX and things like that were super well educated, thanks to the documentation that they give us. So it's not that they are disorganized. It's that sometimes, well, now that you have like 500 people, that means that you have a lot of like <clears throat> a lot of managers that may or may not agree mm -hmm. together, a lot of cooks in that uh, in that kitchen. Um, yeah. With my small teams, it's easy to kind of like keep the yep. keep the vision right. It's not like <laughs> uh, bring f and that's that's actually a thing, right? Uh, one day, like someone asked me, Garage Collective, like ideally, like if you could grow to whatever size, like what would you what would you like Garage Collective? It's like to me, it's like a Garage Collective, like no more than fifty people, maybe even like fifty is, is too much, maybe no more than twenty, like. A team of like between ten and twenty that would be perfect. Uh, yeah. After that, you lose the you lose the people lose ownership of what they are working on. Uh, mm -hmm. So it creates new problems. Uh, you have too many middle management, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the reality is that small is beautiful. Uh, small is pleasant, um, and small is nice. Um, and Unfortunately, with the AAA, right, people want their big explosions and they want their mm -hmm. their uh, 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 their ray traced graphics and things like that, and that takes a lot mm -hmm. of people to kind of get to that quality. Uh, yeah, th this is I'm I'm happy. Like if I can keep doing this uh, for the rest of my life, I'll be I'll be content. If I can do it with a couple more people and and like start hiring people and kind of create a nice little company and things like that, I'll be super happy. Uh, obviously, I think uh, the next game that I'll make will not be pixel art because, like, there is a part of me that wants to prove that I can do something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. But again, with your quick turnarounds and everything we've talked about, you you have so many options. Like <clears throat> Shock Troops, you may not think of it as a sequel to Theta Legion, but if you really wanted it to be, it could. And so, when you're done with this and you go do another game. You could say, oh, I want to do a sequel to Stones of Arla. 
Or I just want to do an expansion, and you could, you could, it just lets you do whatever you want, whatever makes oh, you let, happy. Let so me, uh, let me go on the record on that. I really, 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 really want to do an expansion on uh, Stones of Alaf. Uh, and the, the the reality is that there is a big portion of that work that has started. Uh, cool. Now, I think it's Simeon, like particularly the last month of production, uh, a lot of it was riding on Simeon's shoulder. Um, you know, the QA stuff, I helped where I could, but uh, a lot of the QA effort, for example, like was like Simeon going back in his code and like fine tuning some little things and things like that. So Simeon needs to take a little bit of a break. Like we launched in June and you saw like we launched in June and then by, uh, by early June, by mid June, we had the first content update. By the end of yeah. June, we had the second <laughs> content update. By August 20th, we had the third content update and the reversion. Simeon needs a break, uh, yep. but as soon as uh, as soon as Simeon is <laughs> going to be, or, or else he's going to be not a cube but a square. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to flatten him, uh, but as soon as Simeon like gives me like it's like hey you know what Cyril I'm re-energized and I'm ready to go and things like that like then we we will start planning like what's the future for Stones of Alaf. We haven't told the whole story yet. Awesome and. Uh, Shark Troops <clears throat> is specifically designed. Uh, so I don't know if you see, and I know that like the videos may not be in sync for everybody, but like there is a big table uh, in the video with planets, uh, like a galaxy and planets that are kind of turning and things like that. This is where you choose your missions. Uh, so that means that if I want to add a whole new bunch of environments and missions and things like that, I had a planet. Uh, so that's one thing that, uh, <clears throat> that's one thing that we did poorly in Tita Legion is that each level was kind of, leading you to the next level, to the next level, and kind of like changing the order of levels and things like that was... Problematic. <laughs> not problematic on the technical aspect, but problematic on the narrative aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, with uh, Stones of Alaf, using that island as a hub uh, was kind of like my, my reaction to <clears throat> that thing that I did not like about Tita Legion, where I was like, oh, I want to be able to add content the way I want. Uh, and have a play where it's not going to disrupt the, the, the existing content. Uh, with this, we are going one step further. Is like we have that kind of like old navigation uh, table that allows us to kind of like put a new planet in there if we want, whenever we want. So, uh, uh, Shark Troops is built from the get go to be extremely modular. Awesome. Just you saying you have plans for everything makes me happy because obviously I enjoy what you guys do immensely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Shock Troop sells well, uh, uh, there is there is a. I have a, right now. I, I I'll give you a I'll give you a, a scoop. So right now, like the way I plan my environments, it's it's really about like what what players will feel, right? So uh, this is the spooky like the spooky derelict space station. So that's the that's the first mission. I have a fire world, which is going to be like a lot of like browns and, and yellows and reds and things like that. And a lot of like lava and meteorites falling and smoke, things like that. I have an ice world, which is like obviously going to be a lot much like more colder tones, like lots of blues and ice like that. Um, and I do have a, like a very lush, verdoyant planet uh, with like a lot of vegetation and trees and stuff like that. So this is how I'm kind of like planning my world. Like, because I know that when you come out of the fire world and, and people will be able to tackle them in the order that they want. Uh, so once they kind of do the intro mission, then after that, they, they execute. Each mission is going to tell a side of the story. And then once you've done them all, you kind of understand how it works. 
and then it leads you to the final mission. But so the first mission and the final mission will have to be done in sequence, but all the missions in between will be done like players will just decide where they want to go next. And when awesome. you get out of the fire world and you go to the ice world, then it's kind of like a big change, right? You feel like, oh, it's not like, oh, I've, I feel like I've played that level uh, 20 minutes ago. Like it's going to feel, we want people to be refreshed by the content that we show them. Uh, but there is plenty of stuff that can be done. Like I'm even to stay in scope, I'm not going to have time to explore all the things that I want to explore in science fiction, like being in an asteroid belt. Like I would love to make a thing <laughs> on Insta, like, well, maybe you can jump or teleport from one asteroid to the next. Jumping would be in goal. Sorry. <laughs> oh, like, like there is a part of me that really wants to have a, a thing where like, hey, you, this time you're not going to shoot, you're going to pilot a spaceship. Like, I mean, there is so many things that we can do, uh, particularly with sci-fi and fantasy, like it's so open that, uh, yeah, I mean, if the game is successful, uh, expect to see more of it. Uh, Stones of Alaph uh, in my book was a success. Uh, and there is, Simeon and I talked about a lot of things and, new islands, new types of vegetation, new type, new climates, uh, uh, new ecosystems, uh, uh, different weapons, like, sky is the limit. That's exciting. <laughs> Simeon, do you have anything you want to add on this? Nothing in particular, but I'm, I'm as excited as you are. Awesome. <laughs> We'll get your break over with Simeon. Let's get on this. Come on. <laughs> but you know, it's you... A one year and a half of development. It, 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 it's taxing. Oh, yeah. I bet. Do you have, so when you say a year and a half development, do you have like a kind of a planned time off that you stick to? Or do you kind of just, like you said, you kind of already working on it. So you just kind of roll into it. And then you say, hey, I'm ready if you guys are type of thing. That's a question for Simeon or for me? Whoever has an answer, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't take time off. So that, that's the reason okay. why I'm like straight out of uh, Stones of Alaf, I studied on, 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 on Shock Troops. And then, gotcha. as I said, as soon as I will be almost over with Shock Troops, I will start the next project. Uh, uh, but I'm also, it's different. My, I'm not 20-something. I'm, I'm not uh, uh, for, for Simeon, like he has a life ahead of him. Like, uh, there is obviously different priorities. Sure. So Simeon, I, th I think the question is maybe more for you. <laughs> oh, as far as balancing of time, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it really depends on, um, on where we are when we finish one project, um, what Cyril's already begun working on for the next project, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I honestly, it really depends. It could be different every year as far as how much time is in between projects for me. Cool. Yeah, it's always nice to hear like when you're not working under crunch time or anything like anything similar like that, that you guys kind of, for you especially, like the next project recharges your battery so you're ready to go type of thing. You're just enjoying it. Not that you aren't, but, you know, everyone's different. So it's just as long as you guys are getting your relaxation and batteries recharged before the next project. That's great. Yeah. I mean, and to me, I'm also on a timeline, like, uh, um, I, I gave myself, uh, uh, four years to kind of like see, uh, if garage collective could grow, um, as, um, 
as a VR uh, as a VR studio that makes VR games. Uh, so I'm I'm at year uh, year three now, uh, in the middle of year three. So I have uh, basically a year and a half left. Uh, after that, like there is like let's imagine that um, uh, Shock Troops doesn't meet the success that I hope and things like that. Then yeah, I'll maybe kind of like look ahead of me and say, okay, what's next? Uh, should I keep making VR games that that don't have the success that I'm hoping? Or uh, but uh, again, like seeing where what we did with uh, Stones of Araf kind of like fills me with hope that hey, you know what? This is getting this is getting somewhere. Uh, but again, I don't want to think of like. What's happening in it's a little bit like that the agile stuff, right? I'm thinking next milestone is shipping shock troops, and that's that's all I'm thinking about right now. And then once we ship it, we'll see a little bit how the product is received, and then we'll see if there is ground to say should we build the next game and and should it be a should it be a DLC? Should it be a reboot? Should it be a sequel? Should it be like that's we'll we'll decide then. Awesome. <clears throat> Well, before we wrap it up, is there anything we didn't get to that you maybe wanted to, or anything else you want to share with anyone before we head out? Um, we covered a nope. lot. <laughs> um, if people wants to have uh, uh, info, uh, the best way to get info is to kind of like follow me on Twitter. This is usually where I post uh, screenshots and stuff like that. Uh, or subscribe on the YouTube channel. Like I, I, I'm trying to kind of grow a little bit. Uh, uh, the Garage Collective channel, and it's it's working somewhat, but I still wish that I had more uh, uh, more people subscribe to the channel. So if you want to make me happy, uh, because every time I get a new follower on YouTube or a new follower on Twitter, I'm happy. Uh, so if you want to make me happy, <laughs> please follow uh, and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be like the the, the YouTubers. Uh, hit that uh, hit that like button and uh, hit that subscribe button. Make it ring. <laughs> And if anyone watching or listening, there'll be links to all the, everything in, in the show notes. So we'll have that there for you to click. Yep. But I want to thank you guys again for your time. It's always great yep. talking to you guys. You're very insightful. I, you, you're obviously very passionate, and I love that. And it shows in your games. I love your games, obviously. Um, so I hope you can continue to do what you love and create what I love. So the nice symbiotic cool. circle we got there. <laughs> Maybe we'll, uh, maybe next time uh, you'll, you'll try the game and we'll be back on that podcast to talk about it. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. All right. We'll, co we'll come at you live from the, the mission table. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that, right? Uh, bringing some of the assets in the VR space. Uh, that would yep. be kind of fun. I could design like a booth that is, yeah, that is in the ship, uh, <laughs> in the shock group ship. That'd be really cool. Yeah. But thanks, Cube Simeon. Thanks, Cyril. <laughs> Pleasure's all Thank mine. you, everyone. I don't know what, uh, well, that's obviously this camera. What's happening with this one? Look, look at look at the PJ one. That's the one streaming right now. So This one? The lower one. Oh, yeah. okay. Hey, hey, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so low? It's not catching my good side. It It's catching up here. It's just deceiving. I'm just kidding. Gotcha. Okay. You don't have a well, good side to catch. Simeon's got like eight. I've got only good sides. <laughs> <laughs> equal, uh, e equally bland, Simeon. Come on, uh, you have a little bit of uh, a little bit of green below you, though. Yeah. I say fresh, fresh and clean. 
<laughs> it's your kind of mint. It's your mint attire. It is. <laughs> it I mean, is. I mean, look it's at this jawline. <laughs> yeah, it is chiseled. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, thank you everybody uh, for uh, tuning in. Um, and yep, yeah. can't wait to uh, talk more about uh, the next game. Yeah. I, I'm really bad at this. I mean to do this at the beginning of the shows, but um, shout out to Spatial Ape. We're live in VR via Spatial Ape. If you don't understand that, click the links in the show notes. To check out the video. Uh, you can always join our audience, ask questions when we're talking to the devs and whoever. So it's fun, fun time. It's cool. Man. And we have, we now have bazookas, and you can shoot things. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. I don't know what that looks like for the viewers, but sure. <laughs> I want to shoot the... some off Simeon's head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't shoot yourself. Like, that's complete. That's completely meta. I'm shooting at the screen. Shooting at. The... <laughs> hey, that's to your shoot. next game—an interactive game with NVR that you can. <laughs> To shoot yourself, Hard you got to gotta kind of turn your controller around. Oh, yeah, you are. Oh, Wookie is depressed. Thank you.